0: Apostles And Matthias, the one replacing Judas, that these were the qualifications that they needed. And they first being called disciples, then Jesus calls them apostles. And that's what they're referred to as in the throughout the book of Acts, uh, oftentimes as the apostles. And Paul himself says, I saw Jesus Christ. Now, when did Paul see Jesus? Actually, I'll just ask this as a question response. When did Paul see Jesus. That's right. On the road to Damascus. So Paul was not one of the 12. Remember his story. He, he in fact, was opposed to Jesus. But on that road to Damascus, Jesus himself showed up to Paul. And so the resurrected Jesus showed up to Paul. He says, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? You've heard the story. I've been with you. I've told you about my conversion experience. Jesus appeared to me. He refers to himself in another place uh, as an apostle out of due time or out of due season. He says, you know, I am an apostle and unlike the others who've spent time with Jesus, Jesus came back to earth and appeared to me and he has called me to be an apostle. And so Paul is going out and then he says, are not ye my work in the Lord? In other words, he's saying, if I'm not an apostle, well then, what are you guys? You are my work. If I don't have any authority, then what kind of authority do you have as the church? You're the result of my ministry. You're the result of me coming there. It's so aren't aren't you the, the fruit of my labor? If I be not an apostle unto others, verse 2, Yet doubtless I am to you. So he says, maybe some others wouldn't refer to me as an apostle. There, there might be some others out there that I'm not an apostle unto them. But doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. You are the very ones who I came and I established this work. So my answer to them that do examine me is this have we not power to eat and to drink okay this seems like a curveball that he's going to uh to to go in here but uh as i said you need to understand that this is one piece of uh, of the correspondence that's been going back and forth and even though we don't have their letters uh it seems as though they had laid out all of their reasons why he was not an apostle why he didn't have authority to speak into their lives. And so he begins to address these things here. He says, Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? Who goeth a warfare? At any time at his own charges, who planteth the vineyards and eateth not of the fruit thereof, or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock. As I said, this seems as though it's, it's a turn in this conversation. What, what's he getting at here? So what he is, what he is referring to here, what he's uh, diving into is the compensation that a minister of the gospel might receive and what they as a, a minister uh are uh, are owed or you know what they should um what they should get from their their congregation uh the liberty that they have he says don't i have the power to eat and drink shouldn't i at least have food and and you know drink to you know provide it for me you know that that i should basically that i should have enough money to go and buy some food and some and, and something to drink Don't I have the power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as the other apostles? So he says, he says, I have the right to marry if I want to. But I also, and we'll see this, Paul is going to set up all this argument here about why a minister is, uh, is justified to have the honor of being paid By those that he ministers to. But then he flips it all around. And then he says, I also have the right to not be paid. And that's actually the course that Paul took. And so a lot of this chapter is going to be him laying out all these reasons why he has the liberty to do this. Because it is right that they would have compensation. It's right that they would... uh, be honored by the church in these ways, but he also says, it's my right if I don't want these things, then I don't have to have it. So it seems as though they had laid this out as saying, hey, all the other apostles are married. Peter's married, brothers of of Jesus, they're married, Uh, all these other apostles, they're all married, but you're not married, so you're not qualified. You know, we've decided now you're not qualified to be an apostle he says, I can be married if I want to I don't have to be married if I don't want to that is not a qualification for me have, you know that I have to meet in order to be an apostle he says uh me and Barnabas have we not the power to to forbear working you know here we are we me and Barnabas Brings up Barnabas. I don't. We don't know exactly the reason why, except for that they apparently would have known him. And um, Barnabas, having been the mentor of Paul, the traveling partner of Paul in his early missionary journeys, but he says we have the right, if we want to, to uh, to not work because who goeth to warfare? Do they ever send soldiers off and to war and say, "Hey, you need to bring your own." Uh, your own ammunition, your own guns, and in fact, you're even gonna pay your way there. No. He says, they don't do that. Who, whoever plants a vineyard, this isn't somebody owning the vineyard, but somebody caring for the vineyard. Uh, whoever does that, and they don't get to eat from the fruit of it, or feeds a flock, and they don't get to eat the, uh, the milk of the flock. He's saying, this is, this is just, you know, what's right. But say I these things as a man, or sayeth not the law the same also. So, he was just pulling some examples of, you know, from the world around him. Now he's going to go to the Old Testament. He says the the Old Testament justifies a uh, a minister being compensated for what he is doing as well. For it's written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. He says... That that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. It says you know that, that the one who is doing the work ought to be compensated for that. The one who is doing this, they ought to be paid. If you have sown, un, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are we not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. So this is where I say, he talks about how they are do these things, how these things are rights for a minister to be taken care of. And I'll just see it, have an understanding. It was not uncommon in that day to have traveling philosophers, and this is all across the Greco-Roman world, Traveling philosophers or or traveling uh, missionaries, just these wandering missionaries. And there were really, there were four typical ways that philosophers of that day or traveling missionaries, uh, how they would be paid. It may be paid by fees that those who they're teaching, those who come and, and, and are listening to them, that they take up an offering or they charge a certain fee for them doing that, uh, so that, that that would be the first way they get paid. The second way would be through patronage. Uh, that would be the, the support of the people that they're uh, they're speaking to. Uh, those people would bring them in. They would allow them to stay in their homes. Uh, they would feed them. Um, they would take care of them, and you know all all the expenses that uh, they may incur in their journeys. So fees, patronage, begging would be another way that philosophers may get money, uh, or working would be the fourth way. And so, really, one's philosophies would often determine how they would earn the, earn a living. It made sense for some philosophers, because of, you know, the philosophy that they were espousing, it made sense for them to be a beggar. They were talking about, you know, there were certain people that they talked about, uh, how worldly possessions are uh, are not really something that you should seek after, and they abase themselves, and that's kind of the philosophy that they're teaching others, and, and even not just philosophers, missionaries, or certain ones. And so, for them, it made sense to beg. That's how you know their people that they're teaching would expect that they would get money. Uh, there may be others who, the, through the philosophy they're teaching, it makes sense for them. To be taken in and, you know, talk about hospitality perhaps a lot. And so patronage may be something that makes sense for them. There's others, makes sense to work. Evidently, the Corinthians looked down on Paul's trade as a tent maker. That was the work that Paul did. And we see that in, in Acts chapter 18. Uh, we, we see that when Paul first gets into Corinth, he goes and he finds Aquila and Priscilla, who it says were two Jews that were there in the city, and they had the same trade that Paul himself had. And so he brought himself in with them, and, and uh, they, as tent makers, all, they all came together, and they began to work, and that's how Paul would earn his living. Well, evidently, the Corinthians looked at that, and they said... That doesn't jive what you're doing to make your living. That's not what the other prominent philosophers and the other big shots are doing to make a living. We don't like that. We don't, we don't like the way that you're doing this. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 12, 1 Corinthians 4 12, it says, you go there. It says, in labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, We bless. Being persecuted, we suffer. Who, who is he being reviled by? He's being reviled by the church. He says, even though here we are being reviled, we still bless. I'm being reviled by the church. They, they didn't care for him. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 7, he says, have I committed an offense in abasing myself? That ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? In other words, he said, have I done something wrong by not taking your money? Here I am. I could take it. He just laid out, in fact, uh, 2 Corinthians, almost the whole book of 2 Corinthians, he is defending his apostleship. And uh, there are parts, large parts of that where he is, um, or there's certain parts of that where he is uh, talking about uh, money and uh, Paul was not always opposed to taking money. The Philippian church they paid him money. He didn't work when he was in Philippi, and uh, they they paid him. They uh, so he wasn't always opposed to this. But here he's saying, hey, "Have I done something wrong? Have I offended you somehow? Because I didn't take your money. I did that so that the gospel of God could be freely freely uh, given. So so that we could see the work." Of God happened here in Corinth. And that's what he said there in chapter 9, going back there to uh, verse 12. He said, If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather, nevertheless, we have not used this power, but we suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. He says, We chose to work. And the reason is, we don't get the exact reason, but it seems to be that he chose to work particularly in areas where there was no gospel or where there was no church established. When there was no church that was established, the gospel hadn't really been preached in that area, that instead of of burdening the church with having to pay him, he chose to work and What they did, what the Corinthians did was now all of a sudden, when they don't want to listen to him anymore, they say, hey, you weren't even worthy of us paying you. And so they're flipping that around and they're using this as a reason that he has no authority over them. And and Paul says, wait a minute, this isn't about you guys not paying me because I wasn't worthy. I chose not to be paid So stop, stop this whole argument. I'm worthy of being paid. I just chose not to. Okay, let's let's uh, keep going here. Where were we at? Verse fifteen. It says, "But I have used none of these things. Neither have I written these things that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die, than that any man should make my glorying void." For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. In other words, he's saying, I do this because God called me to do this. I could not do this. I would, I would die if I were not doing this. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then verily that I that when I preach the gospel, I may take the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant to all that I may gain the more. As I said, we could we could stop and really dissect all, a lot more scriptures. But let's finish out this chapter here. It says unto the Jews, I became as a Jew That I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law. As under the law, that I may gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save Some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Paul here is laying out his burden for the lost. I do want you to notice that Paul does not say anywhere in here that to the sinner I became a sinner. He didn't say, I go and, you know, I, I act, you know, I'll fit into every single uh, person that, you know, or I'll fit into every single circumstance of, of whoever to reach them. He, is, he isn't going to go and, and live in sin in order to, to reach some. He's not using that as a, a, a way to reach somebody, but rather he is uh, referring here more so to the customs of man and and how there are some that uh, again going back to the liberty that we have, uh, there were some as the Jews they had certain things that as a Christian they knew it's okay for us to eat pork, it's okay for us to uh, to not you know do these uh, you know, or celebrate these certain feasts or do these certain things that are under the law because we're no longer under the law. So, but as a Jew, if I'm trying to reach the Jews. I'm not going to offend them because I'm trying to reach them. So if I go, I'm not going to go and and bring my BLT sandwich into a Jew's house if I'm trying to reach him because they don't eat bacon. So I'm not I'm not going to go there and just try to offend somebody. But but rather I will choose my I will choose uh, to not take my liberty as a Christian so that I can reach these people so when i became or I became weak or to the weak I became weak so that I might gain them but all or my goal is that I might save some and I'm going to be everything to everybody that I can not to say I'm going to go and and live in sin so that I can try to to reach somebody but I'm going to do everything I can to reach people with this gospel message it says know ye not that they which run in the race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. We could preach on, on this here. I'm not going to preach on it tonight, but uh, run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. In other words, everyone who is trying to, uh, to get that goal, they're going to have to temper themselves. There are certain things that they are not going to do. Somebody who is trying to get that crown. You look at a world-class athlete or even a a high school athlete. doesn't have to be world-class. You look at at a good athlete who cares about the results. They're going to be doing things that if they weren't an athlete, they may do those things. They may eat whatever they want. But because they are trying to reach a goal, they're going to eat healthier. They're going to exercise. They're going to make sure that everything that they're doing, they're tempering their flesh, so that they can reach the goal. He's saying the same here. Temper yourself. We have a goal to reach. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown. We are doing this because we have an incorruptible crown to reach. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. In other words, I do this... With intentionality, I'm running with intentionality. So fight I not as one that beateth the air. In other words, I'm not just fighting against nothing. I'm not just uh I think the New Living Translation says I'm not shadow boxing, I'm not up here just uh just beating the air, but I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Okay, that right there, verse 27, is a key to uh, really this whole argument uh, going from chapter 8, chapter 9 here is this bridge to again kind of going back into the same topic that he covered in chapter 8. And that verse 27 is, is key to understanding that bridge. He's saying, we have this race that we're in. But even me, even I could be disqualified from that race. Here I am. I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Bring it to subjection to what? I bring myself under subjection. My flesh under the subjection of the spirit. I put myself under the subjection of God and his word and the spirit that's leading me. Lest that by any means when I, even though I'm preaching to others. Even though here I am, and you all know my name, and here I just, I just laid out all these reasons why I am an apostle. Nevertheless, I could be a castaway. In the middle of doing all of that, all of this goodness, in the middle of doing all this work of God, I myself could be disqualified from the race. And so, he goes into chapter 10. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So in chapter 10, we're not going to, I don't think we're going to get all the way through this, but um, we're going to try to get a little ways into it. He is, uh, he is going to lay out these Old Testament examples here of how the children of Israel even though God was doing great things in their midst, how they disqualified themselves from the inheritance of God. And so remember chapter eight, he was referring to eating, uh, uh, eating meat that had been offered to idols. One thing I don't think I, uh, I don't think I had laid this out uh, in, in this way, but um, I had mentioned how they would bring or the, how they would purchase meat in the marketplace that had been offered to idols they'd bring that home and they would eat it. Another piece as I was studying this this week uh, it wasn't just that they were purchasing meat in the marketplace and eating that this meat that had been offered to idols, but they were actually going to the temples they as Christians born again Christians seeing the, the gifts of the Spirit operating in their midst in the, in, the, in the church, seeing the miraculous happen. Then they would go, and at the temples, not all of them were the, you know, we, I've talked about the, the temple prostitutes. Not all the temples were like that. They had these temples that you would go, and they would have feasts, and they'd have just like a, a big family dinner party yeah they're all coming together they're gathering together everybody in the town comes and they they go to the temple and they go and they eat together sitting around the table and they're there in the middle of you know this temple that is worshiping these gods these roman gods and here they are as christians going to the temple and they're saying we know these gods aren't real we're just going there to to get some food, hang out with some old friends. What's the big deal? He will also address the just going to the marketplace and buying the buying the uh meat and eating that and um but it's it's not just that they were also going to the temple and they were participating in uh in those dinners so as I said, he's going to lay out here. These examples from the Old Testament of how the, the Israelites did not run the race well. So let's go. Uh, you said in verse 2, it says, they were all baptized. Or rather, let's, let's go back to verse 1. Uh, I would not have you to be ignorant that all our fathers, referring to the forefathers, the uh, Israelites, how they were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. Okay, this is going back to the Exodus from the Exodus account. They come out of Egypt. They were led by a cloud. It's a miraculous manifestation of God. That's what it's referred to as. There was a cloud by day, a fire by night. Paul here doesn't mention the fire by night, but he he talks about the cloud. How the the cloud was there. Uh, that cloud was uh, it, it was. The presence of God. Uh, it's referred to at at times as the angel of the Lord. Um, it's referred to other times, you know, as, as God himself. But this cloud was leading them. And it says that cloud, it, it brought you to a place where you passed through the sea, passed through the Red Sea. And you were, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Okay. He's using this as an example. They weren't literally baptized. Old testament they didn 't have baptism uh, there was ritual cleansing there was uh, what they would call mikvah, where they would go and they may cleanse themselves, but it wasn 't baptism as as we have in the New Testament and so they weren 't like baptized in the name of moses uh, that 's not what he 's talking about here but but he 's using that that red sea coming through the sea as this um, as this example of this coming out of bondage and coming into this new life with God, and so they were baptized. And it says not only in uh, in the water, not only in the sea, but also by the cloud, by the Spirit of God. So there is really good parallels here to the new birth experience. They were baptized in the cloud, baptized in the Spirit, and they are baptized in the sea. They're baptized in the water. As I said that was not. Actual baptism, but he's using that example there from the Old Testament to apply to us. It says, they did all eat the same spiritual meat. There, he's, he's kind of, uh, laying some groundwork for what he's going to get into at the latter part of this chapter, uh, where he's going to talk about the, the Lord's Supper, and they're partaking of the Lord's Supper. So he says here, they, uh, they did eat the same spiritual drink, uh, for, Verse 4, it says, did, did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that fouled them, and that rock was Christ. So here they are. Uh, this, uh, for them, the, the meat that they ate, it was spiritual food. They had manna that was miraculously appearing for them. They had quail that would show up every morning that they could eat that. They had a rock that was there. And this is really interesting. This rock that followed them, uh, the—it's—we don't fully understand it, but there was uh, perhaps it, it, there was there was a Jewish tradition. We don't actually see this in the Old Testament, but there was the tradition that there was a rock, a physical rock that actually followed the Israelites throughout the throughout the wilderness. We do see. That rock mentioned twice how Moses struck the rock and water came out of it. There's two different times that we see that. It was the tradition then, uh, has been a tradition that that particular rock followed them around everywhere they went. I don't know if it was, uh, hopping around somehow or rolling or, um, maybe, maybe they even, I guess it doesn't have to be miraculous in that sense. Maybe they just picked up the rock and, uh, put it on a cart and carried it with them and it followed them in that sense. Um. Uh, but whatever the case, you know there's this rock, and we both that tradition and uh, from what he says here, what um, Paul writes, he says that rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. He's using that as an example. Uh, we could go. What time is it? Uh, let's let's skip this Deuteronomy passage with the rock, it's for the sake of time. But you could you could read about this rock in Deuteronomy chapter thirty two. Uh, It makes uh, several mentions of that rock that followed them and how that rock was God. And that rock was something that uh, even though it followed them, that uh, and and it was this constant refreshment for them, uh, that they still, because of things that they did, were rejected by God. And this really is what Paul is going to, is getting into, or is, is trying to lay out. Even though the Corinthians, or even, even though the Israelites experienced this amazing baptism through the Red Sea and in the cloud, even though they had this amazing transformation from bondage to deliverance, and you as Corinthian Christians had this amazing experience of baptism in water and in the spirit and you went from bondage to liberty and even though they went after that baptism and they were fed spiritual spiritual meat and they had the spiritual drink and here you are you have this these spiritual things that are happening even though they saw miraculous things that were happening in the provision of God. They still were disqualified from the promise and that is what Paul is is going to lay out he's going to give us give them four reasons or four examples of how the uh, how the Israelites were disqualified he's going to give them four examples of of things that they did that they were not running the race well and he's using them as this corollary for they, for them as the Corinthians not running this race well. And we're not going to get to this for a little while, but later on in 1 Corinthians, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And now the gifts of the Spirit in the Corinthian church, they were abundant. How they... They were operating in the gifts of the Spirit left and right. There, you know, God was doing amazing things, but He's saying just because God is using you in the gifts, just because spiritual things are happening, doesn't mean that everything's alright. It doesn't mean that your behaviors don't matter. Just because God is providing for you does not mean that the things that you're doing that don't line up to the word of God, that he doesn't care about those things. God may still bless you, and you could be lost. What does Jesus say? He said that there will be some that they're going to cry, or that they're going to come and they're going to say, we cast out devils in your name. We prayed, you you answered these prayers, you did all this He's going to say, I never knew you. So, just because you see the fruit of uh, of the Spirit just, you know, present, just because you see these spiritual things happening doesn't mean that you're running the race well. And so we need some correction to happen here. So, let's go to verse 7. 1 Corinthians 10, 7. Well, where did I leave off? I left off in verse 4. Let's just... Uh, it says, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things also or as they also lusted. Now, here, verse seven, he begins with this first example uh, from the Old Testament. It says, neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is a reference to the golden calf incident. And you don't always get the the one-to-one correlation unless you go and you read the narrative. Um, I think for the sake of time, I know I gave you all these scriptures uh, to put up here. But for the sake of time, you could go to Exodus chapter 32 and you could read that golden calf narrative. And uh, you can see this is when they're, they're first coming into the wilderness. Moses goes up into the mountain. And he's there. He's been gone for some time. Uh, they say, make us some gods. We don't have somebody to lead us anymore. Uh, so Aaron says, give us all your gold earrings. They take them out. He, what he says happens. He throws them into the fire and out pops a golden calf. Sure, Aaron. Um, but this is, uh, it says in that, now once this came out, they say, oh, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And then it, it makes that reference and says that they went and they played. Now, what's going on with the Corinthians, they're, they're going to these pagan temples, sitting down before an idol, eating and playing. Now playing here. Did not mean that they're going out to play some volleyball. This is uh, this is uh, sexual. This is a reference to sexual things that are happening. They're going and they're they're doing this. Uh, this is what they did as uh, as part of their worship. Uh, this is part of what uh, you guys are even participating in yourselves. We've already seen some of these references and his correction in these areas. Uh, But he says, here you are, you're sitting down and committing idolatry by by going into these temples and uh, participating in these events. Don't do it. Don't do it. In fact, on that day, uh, after that golden calf, we see 3,000 Levites that were killed because of that event. God didn't play. All right, verse 8 in chapter 10. Neither let us commit fornication. As some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. This is a reference to Num- Numbers chapter twenty five. Uh, again, I won't read it, but I'll summarize this here. We we see uh, a man and a woman uh, who just publicly are committing fornication. Everybody, well, at least everybody around probably not everybody There's a million over a million people. But they, they knew that this was happening and this was an abomination, and uh, and all of a sudden, all these people start dying. And, uh, and we see uh, this uh, Phineas, uh, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest. He saw it. He rose up from among the congregation. He took a javelin in his hand. He went after the man of Israel into the tent. He thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel, and those that died were 24,000 people. That was what happened there. That's what Paul is referencing here. He says, "Don't let's not commit fornication as they did. We saw that happen. I'm not telling you necessarily that 24,000 of you are going to die, but God wasn't happy then. And that was as an example for us. He's not happy with you committing fornication either. Verse nine, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Okay, here's the third example of not running the race. Well, this is referring to Numbers chapter 21, and we can just let's read these verses here. Uh, verse four says they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God, complaining against Moses. How, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, our soul loatheth this light bread, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people have, came to Moses and they said, We've sinned, we've spoken against the Lord, against thee, pray unto the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. Moses prayed for the people. Paul is saying, he's he's equating, he's putting on the same level, murmuring and complaining as idolatry and fornication. Because that's the same level God put it at. So he's saying, you guys keep on complaining about stuff as Christians. Stop complaining because that's not running the race well. And he says really the same thing in verse ten, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and they were destroyed of the destroyer. And again, we won't we'll bypass the reference there, Numbers chapter fourteen. This is one of the times where they were complaining, and uh, we see the reason I point this one out is because uh, here God, because of all the murmuring, complaining, God says. You guys completely forfeited your reward in the Promised Land. Numbers fourteen, it says uh, here that uh, they, because of their murmuring, because they're complaining, that they are not going to step foot into the Promised Land, but rather uh, they're going to spend all their time, all their days in um, uh, in the wilderness, and for forty years, anybody forty and under. They would pass away. Um, and over that, uh, or under that, they would be able to enter in. But because they're murmuring, because they're complaining, because of their lack of faith, they weren't able to enter in. And so he's using this, and in fact, he says it here in verse eleven. And we'll wrap up. Uh, let's go through verse 13, then we'll wrap up. Uh, it says, Now all these things happened to them for examples or examples. They are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall there has no temptation and this right here is a very um, commonly quoted verse very popular verse um, a lot of times um, i think taken out of context it says there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man but god is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above all, above that ye are able, but he or but he will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. A lot of times that verse right there uh, gets translated today into God will never put more on you than you can bear. It's not really what it says. And remember the the um, What's going on here, everything that he's writing about, is them going and knowing what's right and wrong, and choosing to do what's wrong, and he's saying, there is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. If you're going and doing these things, and you're saying, well, it's because... I, in my temptation, cannot help myself. He says, first of all, you're not the first one to be tempted this, this way. The devil doesn't have any new tricks. He's not tempting you in such a way that others have not been tempted. God is faithful, and he's not going to suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. In other words, God has given you the power To not fall into temptation. It doesn't say. God will not put more on you than you can bear. It says. There's no temptation that you can't be an overcomer of. There's never something that you're going to be tempted with. That through walking in the spirit. and Through submitting yourself to God. You can't be an overcomer. That is what Paul is saying. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able? But with the temptation, he's not saying you're not going to be tempted. That just because you're you're walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit, that you're not going to be tempted. But he says when the temptation comes, he's going to make a way to escape. That way you can bear it. There are always off ramps and you have the choice to go on one of those off ramps. There's always going to be a way for you to escape this. Now, if you choose not to do it, that's because you're not being led by the Spirit. You're not running the race well. You're not, as he said, uh, you are not um, doing this in a way that is uh, doing this in a way where it's where you're using temperance. But through temperance, you're able to be an overcomer of any temptation through temperance, through the Spirit of God, you are able to overcome any temptation that would come your way. And so from there, uh, he, he's going to go into uh, some things that are happening among them as they would celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, times of communion. And uh, so we'll we'll end it there for tonight. But I, I want uh, us here to take... Hopefully, you took some things from this. I know, I know. Chapter nine. Uh, a lot of that uh, is, is Paul laying out his own qualifications as an apostle and why he uh, is worthy of honor. Uh, but he's he's laying out this thing that even for ourselves, we have uh, we we may fall into these same um, same things that the, the Corinthians did, where they bypass or they overlook areas of their life because God is blessing them because some things are going right. And we say, God doesn't care that I'm doing that. Paul says, God very much cares. that even though the Israelites were being blessed, God cared about their actions and there was a result. uh, There were some poor results because they uh, they were not obedient. Amen. Let's stand here tonight, and uh, we're going to, uh, as we always do, we're going to uh, close this in prayer tonight. So let's just lift up our hands. And as one body, one voice, amen, let's just call upon him tonight as we leave this place. Lord, we come to you. Lord, we are so blessed. We are so thankful for your word. God, your word, it never fails. God, your word is uh, just as relevant today as it was when these words were first penned and given to that Corinthian church, Lord, I pray that we would apply it to our own lives. God, I pray that here tonight, if there's anybody that is is struggling with temperance, God, if there's anybody who is struggling, God, with the temptations that have come their way, Lord, that we would not just give in, that we would not uh, just just go and and overlook these areas, but Lord, that we would, um, Lord, that we would commit ourselves uh, fully and completely to you, Lord. I pray. That here in this church, Lord, that we could be people of the word, God, that we would be people of the name, God, that in all ways and everything in our private lives and our public lives, God, that we would honor you. Lord, I thank you for all that you do, Lord, for this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, let's go. Let's be the church everywhere that you are this week. And um, I'm excited for Sunday.